Welcome to the Hobcast, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime, and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of building a new creative business in this pandemic world. We'll hear from the people who make all this possible, the authors, cover designers, and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast from Hobeck Books, as we combined trad values and an indie spirit. Hello. Hello, and welcome again to the Hopcast Book Show. It is show 71, and it is an exceptionally packed and special show today. It is an exceptionally packed and special show, indeed. If we just pause for a second, you can hear the hubbub of the aftermath of Crime Fest. There are a couple of panel sessions still going on, but at the moment we're in the reception of the Grand Hotel in Bristol, which is where it has been held over the last three, four days, and people are making their farewells. See you at Harrogate, all that sort of thing. People look a little tired, don't they? Tired but happy. And we are sat on a a lovely lilac velvet sofa. We are, with some coffee and... Lots to bring you in this edition, actually. I Don't can't, sit back. <laughs> I can't go as back, far back as that, so I'm going to have to sit forward. But it is, uh, it's been such a pleasure to be here at Crime Fest in Bristol this week. So, who, who are we going to hear from? In fact, first of all, let's just do the usual intros before we yeah, assume that you who know we who are. we are. I'm Adrian Hobart. He is, and I'm Rebecca Collins. Together... I provide the hoe. And I provide the back. Of Hobeck Books. And we are UK independent publishers of the following genres. Crime. Uh, mysteries. Suspense. And the thrillers. The other one. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yes, we, we cover all, all things dark, murderous. If it's dark, we like it. Yes, we do. We do. So, uh, we have been here uh, supporting our authors, two of whom appeared on panels yeah which was great brian price and anthony dunford anthony was also here to hear whether he made the shortlist for the cwa john creasy new blood award uh, sadly he didn't but one of our hobeck authors did he did mark whiteman congratulations so that's our big news of the week mark whiteman has made the shortlist for the john creasy new blood dagger from the crime writers association it's uh, as described when we got to the, uh, to the ceremony in the ballroom announcing that shortlist, it is the Oscars of British crime. So it's a huge feather in Mark's cap in, in ours too. I mean, for an indie publisher to have two longlisted, one shortlisted, against all the big publishers and all the big names is an achievement. We did give a very, very big whoop, didn't we? We did. We did. Um, absolutely. And, uh, you know, there was a perceptible change in the way that people looked at us. I know. As soon as that happened. Yeah, I mean, part, partner were a little bit offended that we actually whooped, but in general... They weren't offended that we whooped. Who wouldn't whoop? Uh, yeah, I don't, no, don't sit back, please, because <laughs> I don't want to end up in A&E with coffee burns all over you. No, that's true. I just needed a bit more seat. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think that, you know, we had a lot of people come up to say congratulations, and uh, it's been a great conversation opener. It has. And for the regular listeners to the Hobcast... You know, it may seem strange that a pair of people who set up a publishing company, go to these events and do a podcast every week, should be introverted. We but are total introverts. We are. But this has been an environment and an, an atmosphere. Uh, in contrast, 
possibly because we're more experienced at doing these things, possibly because we had seven of the Hobeck authors in the house during different times during the festival, which means you've always got a friendly face to go and say hello to. But it's been amazing who we've been able to have conversations with and build new relationships with. I know, I've talked to, to, to famous people and all sorts, but also editors and writers and um, people who just love crime fiction, just all sorts of writers as well, you know, very traditionally published, very well known, and then people who are just starting out want some advice, it's been wonderful. Yeah, and that's the nature of the panels here, but just to tell you who we have got coming on the programme. It's very exciting. Okay, we're going to have a big feature interview with one of the queens of British crime writing, one of the most celebrated authors around the world. Anne Cleves is on the programme. And it it was almost, it was surreal, wasn't it? Because we, uh, you you talked to Anne yesterday. Yeah. And she said, yes, she'd love to come on the podcast. And then we had about an hour and a half (laughs) to sort of... um, digest this information and think about what we were going to talk about and we went for lunch and i had an amazing kimchi and cheese toasty but you know another another topic and we didn't really have much time to think about it did we and we sort of discussed a little bit about what we knew about Anne's work and then we thought well let's just go for it then and we did absolutely it was really really good it was and um actually just after i'd spoken to Anne, i then approached one of the other mega stars that are here Andrew Child, who has taken over his brother's, Lee Child's, of course, Reacher series. And uh, he was amazingly approachable. So you're going to get a little bit of Andrew. We're going to do a bigger feature program at a later date from here. And we have another feature program as well. I know, we've been busy, haven't we? We have, yeah. So we've, you know, I mean, it makes our lives easier. Sometimes busy time in the summer, we've got a couple of programs ready. Andrew was magnificent. What a great conversation that was. We went for about probably about an hour we've ranged over all sorts of subjects but it was not just books no and i I think i think i got the impression we parted as friends which was lovely yeah Um, well we've promised him a mug yeah (laughs) which we have got here and he is in the building so oh is he yeah i saw him earlier don't let me we've got to finish this link before (laughs) you rush off and give (laughs) give it quiet that means andrew charles has appeared he was up in the ballroom signing books so he's not left yet um but the the you know the We've got another special, which is going to be on how journalism is portrayed in fiction and how accurate or not that might be with two very, very impressive uh, journalists come authors. So uh, that's a pet subject for me. But it it was a really intellectual conversation, wasn't it? It was a deep conversation, Um, yeah. So slightly different from our usual podcast, but really interesting. And for me, as someone on almost not on the inside as you are or have been on the inside of this world someone from the outside i found it fascinating talking yeah. to those two so it was a very different experience for all of the you know different you know from print from tv from the bbc is different from commercial tv it's very interesting so that's to come at a, 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 at a future date but uh, so just to mention again we will be hearing particularly from Anne Cleves. we'll hear a little bit of a preview of our interview with andrew child and we also will meet the Hobeck team who made it here to oh, Bristol. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. So you'll get that too. So there's so much to get on. We will, I mean, in terms of news, we really haven't been looking at it. Well, I don't think we've got room for news, really, have we? No. So. <laughs> so let's just blow our own trumpet about getting a, a, a shortlisted author for a dagger, which is fantastic. Uh, and let's get into the interviews. With Anne. With Anne. So, Anne Cleves, you will know her from... I mean, televised around the world, 
all of her series have been turned into TV series, but the one that stands out, of course, is Vera, set in the Shetlands. Vera played by Brenda Blethyn. But uh, Anne has been writing for decades. And as she tells us in this wonderful interview, it took us 20 years to become successful. But boy, is she successful now. It's a really moving interview. There's some really interesting aspects to, you know, the impact of, of being a bereavement, losing her husband five years ago, and the impact that's had on her. And also, well, we started on, a, it was a, an interesting approach, because I don't suppose she gets asked about this very often, but uh, earlier this year she got an OBE, uh, the Order of the British Empire, and that was as a, a result of her work in promoting libraries. So we started there. We did, in the library. With a dagger. We're truly honoured on the Hopcast Book Show to be joined by Anne Cleves, who we've seen you at festivals. We were at Harrogate last year, um, but we've never had the courage to come and say hello. Until so, today. <laughs> well, it's very nice of you to have come to say hello. Thank you. And um, what we wanted, I mean, we were just running through all your myriad achievements, but the thing that really struck us most when Rebecca and I were looking over it, was your recent OBE for services to libraries. Yeah. I think because I love libraries. I, I grew up, as a, when I was a child, that was my sort of first proper exposure to a choice of books, and not just the books my mum had, which was Dick Francis, which we were talking about yesterday. But, yeah, so, you know, when I saw that, I thought, you know, I love it when someone is as passionate about me as libraries. And um, So I wonder how did that come about? Well, because like you, I was a childhood library goer. We didn't have many books in the house, but we did have that routine, that Saturday morning routine of going to the library. And I got to know the the person behind the counter very well, and she knew the sort of books that I loved and would save ones for me and bring them out. I always say like a rabbit coming out of a hat. I still remember the magical moments of those books. Uh, and and I, I noticed that, you know, uh, you do attend a lot of sort of library-led festivals. I try to, yeah, I try to get out into festivals, but the last year or so, well, last two years, I suppose mm, now, yeah. I've been working on um, a project which we call Reading for Wellbeing, which is working with six different authorities in the northeast and with GPs and Public Health England and academics to try and uh, work through the social prescribing scheme. You know, GPs can prescribe membership of a rambling club or a gym mm, if people yeah, have, yeah. have weight yeah, I've benefited from that yeah, from yeah depression yeah yeah and I think because I had an experience of my husband was was bipolar and had periods in hospital and when I was you know, going through a really tough time not depressed myself but wanting to mm. care for him what got me through was fiction was reading fiction and losing myself in a different world so I was asked just randomly, I'm not quite sure why, to give a lecture at a Public Health England conference about health inequality in the North East. I think because even then people have realised that reading is a matter of health inequality, that if you don't read it's very hard to, to access books, GPs, anything really. And so I gave this lecture talking about how important fiction was to me and then throughout this challenge, I would like to, to sponsor two project workers. Let's see if it works and will you match fund it? So we've ended up not just with four workers, but with nine working across six authorities. And we're more than a year in now. And just it's working so well. So in some authorities, our project workers are working with mums who gave birth during lockdown. So who didn't have the support of 
toddler groups or grandparents or even health visitors. So they became very isolated. Uh, we worked mostly in very deprived areas. Yeah. Um, and so we've got a brilliant project worker working in Middlesbrough doing that. We've got somebody else in um, in County Durham who's again working with young mums but and working with a nursery class but is also working with older people who are in sheltered housing and they're just passionate about their reading groups. Yeah. Uh, so everywhere it's different, really, but we, the best thing is that we have um, a team of academics who are evaluating it, so we hope that oh, we'll get some sort, of, um, some sort of qualitative and quantitative research at the end. We've got GPs joining us really now happy to refer patients so it, it could uh, potentially expand to other areas as well could it I well that's that's the hope that that's i think that i had a meeting with the deputy chief medical officer uh, a couple of weeks ago with the gps and some of the project workers and actually with one of the readers one of the person who's benefited from from the project who was just stunning told such a wonderful story about what he was getting out of, of the project um, and she seemed very impressed. She doesn't have any money. We've got to sort of get the get the politicians on board, I guess. But I, I do hope that we can roll it out more widely. Mm. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Now, in terms of your career, you, we just before we started recording, you mentioned, and you've said this on platforms, I'm sure, uh, 20 years before true success came, and it really has come now. Yeah. Um, but. What kept you going in the 20 years when it wasn't quite as successful as it is now? Oh, I didn't, I, I never did it for the money, I think. Well, just as well. I think most writers will tell you that <laughs> yes. you can't make a living at being a writer. And I certainly didn't for those first 20 years. But um, I just love telling stories. I love it. I love making stuff up. I think we're hardwired to tell stories, though. I think you know, kids in the playground are pretending to be somebody different from what they are. Yes, um, true. That's very true. And, yeah, I mean, that's common, isn't it? I think most writers we talk to say exactly that. They just can't help it. It's no, just, like you say, hardwired. Yeah. yeah, but I think it is, we, we all tell, make up stories to, to present ourselves in a certain way or to explain who we are or to make excuses for what we've done. Uh, yeah. We all tell tales, <laughs> yeah. don't we? And we all have narratives that are more or less true. And I think, for me, it is getting inside the head of somebody different and writing their story. That's, that's what I love. I think it also sort of helps you understand the world as well. So you're trying to understand other people by making up stories about their lives. Because I like sitting in a cafe and imagining, see a couple and imagining their life and coming up with a... <laughs> you absolutely. do, you do, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but we... I, think, I think that's true. And I think, but it's also, if you're, if you're reading fiction set in different places or with people different, very different from you it must help you understand it must help tolerance and give you a wider perspective on life and maybe help you get a handle on people you disagree with and we need that definitely we do we do need that and it is interesting because i think every panel and we haven't been to many to be honest because we've been doing a lot of this and representing and our authors coffee. and drinking <laughs> beer um but the fact is that almost every panel has had a question about uh, whether it's you know cultural appropriation, and there are different levels of it, but in the sense you know, you're writing about an area that you don't currently live in, in terms of Shetland or North Devon with your latest book, yeah. uh, and then there's going to be characters that are male at the most basic level. 
And nowadays, there seems to be this ring of critique. If, you, if you're not X and Y and you represent that person, you can't write from their perspective. And I know all the authors have gone on and said, look, this is ridiculous because this is censoring all fiction if you do that. You yeah. can't. You've got to have licence to. Yeah, to... I think that's absolutely right. But I think you do have to be sensitive. So in, in my North Devon series, I write a gay detective, a gay couple, mm. mar- married gay couple. And... I'm not that, and I don't understand how you would live that, especially if you've been brought up, very strictly brought up as a evangelical Christian. That, you know, getting inside that person's head wasn't easy. But I think if you do it sensitively, and you do your research and you check, let you know, check with the people that you're writing about, or the kind of people mm. that you're writing about. As I said at the panel, the book went through reads by three different gay couples before it went to the publisher so I did make every effort to get it right Mm. no I think that's very important it's basically about doing your research isn't it yeah and just being a bit sensitive and and being aware that you can be offensive if you don't do it right yeah it's it's a delicate balance in fact one of our books which was long listed for the John Creasy uh, New Blood Award uh, is set in Kenya, written by a Yorkshire-born um, and based author. And we sent it to be edited by an American editor because it's an action thriller and we thought that they would have a better sensibility mm-hmm. around that side of things and what whether it would appeal to a US audience. But he came back with, you're a racist. You've depicted Africans. And in a way that with all the social ills of Kenya... Uh, the conservancy areas and all the towns nearby, there's terrible problems with alcoholism and obviously poverty and domestic violence. And he's written all those things into it very sensitively and very well researched. But from an American standpoint, where they're much, much hotter on this at the moment... They are. It's very tricky, I think. And certainly there were some comments in social media about my book, but the people who came to my defence were actually other gay men. Which, which was, is great, yeah. Who said, no, this feels authentic to me. And I think we don't all have the same experience. You know, Not all white, older women like me will see the world in the same way and not all gay men will see the world in the same way. So Absolutely, yeah. Like, you know, could I write a book from your perspective, even though we're both female? Yeah. Not necessarily. No, it's so, I think it is, it is difficult, but I think you do... It's it's hard in America. I think it's really really tricky at the minute. Yeah, it's it's a hair trigger culture at the moment, isn't it? On the, on the social media side of things, and there's a lot of lobby groups who are looking for fresh meat to go mm. out. I guess. But yeah. in terms of, I mean, when you were looking at, at, at creating that series, uh, you know, and you've got the background of writing many series, but taking that perspective and, and, and taking two your two central protagonists, putting them in a gay relationship and all this sort of thing, how did you have any qualms or fears that you, you, you know, that going into, you know, taking that yeah, approach? Because I didn't set out to write a gay detective. I set out to write originally a story about um, somebody who'd grown up in that very restrictive evangelical community that I call the Barham Brethren because Barham is the Latin name for Barnstable, so it's, yes, uh, there is no such thing as the Barham oh, Brethren. The Plymouth Brethren, yeah, yeah, but but so I made made that up, so I could do more or less what I wanted with them. Yeah, and but but my husband had just died. I 
and the people that looked after me after Tim died. So the people yeah. that were in my head, rattling around in my head, were, were a gay couple who'd been great friends with both of us and who looked after me and who were still looking after me four years later. So yeah. um, I suppose it's a celebration of their marriage, really. Fantastic, yeah. And in terms of, I mean, you have several series, very strong geographical settings, and they're as intrinsic as the characters. Shetland and well, they're actually Timothy. a character in themselves. Maybe the location. Yeah. Well, I think I think um, place is more than a pretty background to the action. I think we grow out of the places where we were born and grow mm-hmm. up and spend our time. So we are a product of the streets where we played as kids and the view from our bedroom windows and the community. It's about community. I think that we were a part of. So I think I need to know the place before I create the characters. So in terms of Shetland, which has been the feature of many of your books. How often and how long had, had you spent time there before? You, you... I first went to Shetland when I was 20, got a job on Fair Isle, which is the most remote of the yeah. islands, and did two seasons working there. So that was more than 40 years ago. Yeah, a lot more than 40 years ago. And I, I kept going back, so I know it very well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm always tempted to just write about Cornwall. <laughs> <laughs> That's just so you can say, I'm off to Cornwall for a couple of weeks, well, research. <laughs> in, in fairness, yeah, I did spend a week in Mousel uh, for, for a story. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's obviously a very strong thing. But then the, the television side of things kicks in. And does that, from an author's point of view, force you to be more focused on Shetland as a place? Because it's it's been featured in the television series when you're when you're doing new books or no I think so I think I I just tell the stories that I want to tell mm. and I when I've stopped writing about Shetland now but mm. when I was still writing about it I would go up and just hang out with friends and listen to preoccupations and just I don't write in dialect but there is something about the rhythm of a Shetlander mm, speaking yes. that you want to get somehow into the book. Um, so yeah that's how it worked and really I don't have much to do with the television I did ask that each series is filmed where it's based because that seems important yeah it doesn't always happen but it, it it really is important to me so we did that I took them around give them a guide bit of a guided tour <laughs> and, and the, then just yeah. let them get on with it really yeah they get. I knew. I. It's the same production company that make all three. Yes. And so I trust them by now. They're, they're pretty. Well, that's good. good. I mean, you know, because we were at a, a recent session where we were. It was a London Book Fair, wasn't it? London yeah. Book Fair, exactly. And Peter James was 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 on the panel uh, amongst a, a couple of other authors, and obviously he's just had Roy Grace yeah. and John Sim, and and he's thrilled with the way it's worked, um, but his previous experiences were not as good and I've heard elsewhere that there is such a phenomenon as uh, they have a you know everyone on their walkie talkies on set will say an author on the way uh, <laughs> quick everybody behave quick, everyone author's behave. coming yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think it's like I, it is quite boring too watching filming it takes so long doesn't it takes it? so long to say, take the same shot over and over again so I tend to go at lunchtime so I don't <laughs> get in the way and I can catch up with, with Brenda and Kenny if I'm doing <laughs> I was going to say, what's your relationship like with Brenda Blethyn? Oh, she's fabulous. She's so generous. We first met at the very first read-through. They'd come up to do it in the northeast, And they used the old Swan Hunter shipyard yeah. office buildings mm. as the mm. as their office space and, and as a studio. They did all their internal 
filming there. It's moved just a little bit up the tide now because they've tarted up the Swan Hunter building. Um, but I think she was also almost as nervous as I was. So the two of us were met <laughs> then, and she was just lovely and have remained good friends. Yeah, yeah. She's a sort of dotted line to the Hobeck story because yeah, our, first say. Or, our first author signing was Robert Dawes, who, right, yeah. and they'd been in Outside Edge together. Yeah, and, and close, <laughs> very close friends. And I think probably if you know rub shoulders on various other productions I'm but sure. uh, yeah so brenda's sort of like the fairy godmother as we regard him as that uncle. we call him uncle bob Robert <laughs> <laughs> no she's she's really supportive she's done book festivals with me she's signed books with me she came with me to america wow um when she she was awarded the uh the poirot prize for services to crime fiction by an american convention oh, wow. malice domestic so <laughs> That's so she could, yeah she she had a pretty wild time I think because people <laughs> just loved it loved having her there I bet yeah so yeah it was fun yeah absolutely so a lot of the people who listen to this podcast I'm sure are uh, either writers or aspirant writers and uh, one of the things that we encourage because you know frankly in the independent publishing scene a series is is the thing because we need to build momentum mm. and. Yes, by all means, sell book one, but you only really make money when you're on book three and four and people are reading through. Your, dare I say, I mean, it's a horrible phrase, but, you know, the queen of writing series, you've done so many. Um, and it, it does pose its own challenges, doesn't it, uh, in terms of longevity. Do you map out an arc or is it just simply you have an idea for a story and you know the characters? Yeah. No, fit? I don't even plan the books in advance. So I certainly right, don't so plan them. Are you a panther? Yeah, I certainly don't plan <laughs> That's good. Whole... We're both panthers, aren't we? Yes, we are in everything. <laughs> so don't, don't plan a series. I just, I like alternating. So now I'm alternating between the North Devon and the Vera's. So I'll come to the end of a North Devon book and think, oh, that's nice. I can go home to Vera now. Uh-huh. Come yeah. to the end of a Vera book and say, get excited about going back to North Devon. And yeah, I suppose that adds again. a bit of variety then. Yeah, you? no, it, it does. I would, find, I would struggle to keep the focus on just writing one series without getting a bit bored. And uh, you've written the odd standalone, I believe. Yeah, so, I've uh, yeah. Any any more thoughts on, on on doing that to keep you know try not, something completely different? Yeah, or? not at the moment. If if a, a major idea came into my head, I'd how about a completely different genre? Like I don't know, leprechaun sci-fi. No, <laughs> I I really I struggle because I I thought when I started I thought I was going to great write a great work of literature. You know, it was going to be a all about social justice and yeah. comment and. And I created lots of great characters, I think. I'm quite good at character, but I couldn't plot. I couldn't work out what was going to happen. And you can't just have a lot of interesting people sat around a table chatting. <laughs> yeah, um, no, it's... it's that but once people... I killed one of them, I was <laughs> aware. Yeah, then you have a then right. as soon as somebody dies. <laughs> yeah, you've got to have that. Um, and... If you were to, in terms of, people are always asking this question, so I'm sorry if I'm the 4,000th person to ask <laughs> about craft and daily word rate and all that sort of thing. What's your working day like? Do you, do you sit down in the morning and get on with it? Or well, I write much better first thing in the morning. Yeah. So I do, I'm usually awake with a shipping forecast at 5.20. Wow. Um, drink lots of tea and work very early. But I can't concentrate much beyond 1,200 words. Really? Because then I lose, I, and I think concentration is the big, the bigger skill actually than imagination. Because I think 
after that, I start to lose focus a bit. And if I can't see very clearly in my head what I'm describing, then I can't expect the reader to see it. That's interesting. No, and also I suppose you'd end up, you'd reread it and then think, oh, what was I talking about? That's not right, because you weren't quite focused. And uh, I think you need, need that focus. No, well, I, I, I struggle with that. I've got attention deficit disorder, so I'm, as an author, a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> but as a journalist, I was fine because, you know... Because short, sharp, sharp. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I had a deadline to hit and bang, I could do that. But mm-hmm. take me past, uh, you know, a two-hour project, forget it. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Not good as a manager. Well, I don't... Some days I don't write for more than two hours. You feel right, mm-hmm. yeah. And in terms of when you approach the North Devon series, how long would you spend in an area like that to, to really get the feel for... Well, I grew up there, so, oh, right, I, okay. so I did know it already. Mm. I spent, um, yeah, all my, my growing up time was there. So. Well, a blissful you, place I, I, to grow up. Yeah. I'm going to ask a really s- sad question, if I may, <laughs> which is, are you excited that the railway is being restored? Oh, uh, is it in North Devon? <laughs> yeah, t- yeah, the... the uh, to into Barnstable, yeah, and Babbock, and uh, wherever it went to after that. But yeah, fantastic. I mean, yeah, I, off you know, to Elfrecoom, maybe. Yeah, I think uh, so. Yeah. yeah, they're going to restore it, which oh, is that's good. Yeah, I was very excited by that, and they're also doing one in um, across uh, or somewhere in Dartmoor or something. So Oakhampton's going to be connected again to Exeter, which uh, we we both went to Exeter University. So, oh, that's so the southwest <laughs> is strong in our hearts, but uh, yeah, I used to be a journalist in, in Exeter at one stage. Uh, but I never really ventured up to North Devon, which, you know, slap Very rest. few people did. Yeah, but now surfing, of course, has yeah, brought the, a lot of... The whole North Devon scene has changed a lot since I was living there. So it is lots of posh boys from public school who are <laughs> celebrating the end of the exams and with loud voices and going surfing. That it's sounds a, like Exeter University to me. <laughs> yeah, it does a bit, yeah, yeah. Well, we used to holiday in rock, and boy, was it full of those sort of characters <laughs> in down Padstow. So, uh, yeah, that's very, very true. Now my boys are the ones who with the floppy hair going off and, uh, and doing, that sort of <laughs> doing that sort of thing. Um, in terms of your future plans, um, do you think that far ahead in terms of your career or is it just working no, on the next book? just the, working on the next book so there's the new book is coming out in september it's mm-hmm. called the rising tide and it's a vera book yeah um and that was i suppose my lockdown book because it's about people confronting their own mortality and and aging i think so that's what that one is and i'm working on a new matthew venn at the moment fantastic fantastic and um, in terms of your relationship with i mean coming to these events obviously uh, you're going to meet a lot of your readers does that keep replenishing the you know your energy do you get it's lovely meeting readers because i'm a reader and so i'm just talking books with people which is great but i think i write for myself i write the sort of book that i would like to read so i'm not really re- writing for for my readers at all it's very selfish i'm just going to say to the room if you want to have a conversation don't worry uh, as long as we, this is this is fine. This is a very casual and relaxed mm-hmm. thing. So please don't uh, hide and, 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 and not talk to each other or mm-hmm. use semaphore. It's fine as long as I'd be impressed if you use semaphore. <laughs> <laughs> so we're interlopers. So we're sorry about that. But um, uh, actually, going back to Devon, if we may, because we were, we made a pilgrimage uh, back to our old roots. Obviously, we were, where we met at university, and then we're separated for twenty five years, and we're back together. Yeah, yeah. but we went to. Uh, the special collection on Agatha Christie at Exeter University and it's the correspondence she had with her agent for about 35 years was she an inspiration? You see I never really liked Christie Wow um, 
I'm great friends with Martin Edwards, who loves her. And the room's gone silent, by the way, yeah, with that no. revelation. I think she's just too cold and too ruthless. She, there's no yeah. kindness at this real ice in her heart. You know, she wrote serial killers. She killed schoolgirls. She's, mm, she that's was, true. And I really find, I think, and then there were none. Is probably the most chilling, horrible book I've ever read. I think it's dreadful. But, <laughs> but that's a very personal... Well, it's interesting because now you've said that, because I mean, obviously we were it was slightly hagiographic when we were there and saying, that, you know, let's celebrate the, the yeah, incredible we... achievements of a very... Um, well, a woman from, a, from a, a time that we can't understand now, you know, born just before the, the turn of the century uh, and experiencing things in terms of nursing soldiers coming from the front on two, in the two wars and all that sort of thing. Mm. And, and her father dying early and leaving the family without the money that they had become accustomed to and all these sort of difficulties. And then this marriage where the husband was running off and doing whatever he wanted with whoever. Um, she, she's from a... a that, that you can see where the cold-heartedness would come from. Mm. You, you, and in the letters, which are the business letters... There is a woman who is desperate to keep control. And by the end, as she got older, and some people suggest that dementia had set in by this point, she has become utterly paranoid about everybody ripping her off. So you can see where the coldness comes in. Mm. Especially when it comes to money. You know. Oh, money, absolutely driven by an, an exceptionally wealthy woman. Yeah. You know, that fantastic national trust property that you know her holiday home is one of the best in the world yeah. but utterly utterly cold yeah in those letters yeah so yeah very worried about people trying to get one over on her in, in the financial sense yeah well that's an interesting perspective so who who as an avid reader and obviously a writer who's inspired you most do you think um i think that if you want to be a crime writer you should read Megray, all the Megray books by Georges Simenon, because I think he's just stunning. <laughs> he can, he's so tight and so sharp. So within one sentence, he can tell you about a character and set a place and move the plot on. Yeah. Okay. Well, I need to do That's that. That's quite then. a skill. Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, in terms of you know being with us, thank you so much. And we have one more yeah. question for oh, you. The okay. random question. The, okay. So I'm going to give it the build up. <laughs> Here is Rebecca's random question. Okay. Okay. So, um, <laughs> the room is listening. <laughs> now, room is relevant because my question is what is your favourite room in the house to be in? That is random. It is. Well, I've got a kitchen that I spend a lot of time in, that's where I write. But I've also got, I suppose, my favourite room is I've got a cottage up in the hills in Northumberland and Ooh. I just love being there it's i bought it as a bolt all after tim died because i wanted somewhere that didn't have his memories yeah and um it's got lots of my favorite things in it and a big open fire and wonderful views and it's got a feral chair made for me by the daughter of a very good friend who was a croft on feral so yeah lots of special places and memories there sounds perfect for me it's the landing <laughs> i love hanging out on the landing why because you can hear the grown-ups downstairs yeah well i <laughs> when I, you're a child obviously i but... like as you know hiding well there's one place i hide which we won't mention um all the gentlemen in the room will know what i mean uh but the the other the other room is my 
audio studio. Yeah, so if I can't find him in the house, he's in the audio studio, which is like a TARDIS in our front room. <laughs> I can hide there. No one disturbs me. Hears me Not scream. even the cat. No, indeed. <laughs> but Ankles, thank you so much for joining us on the Hopcast. It's been brilliant. It's been lovely to be here. Thank, thank, you. thank you. Thank you. I'm... A little sad that it's coming to an end here in Bristol, I oh, must admit. Well, you know what I'm like. I get sad anything. Yeah, well, you were sad. homesick for some of this trip. Well, you see, I'm a bit of a contradiction. I get homesick at the beginning and think, oh, I don't want to be here, I want to be at home. And then I get to love it, and then I get to the end, and then I cry again because I don't want to go home. Yeah, I understand that. I understand that. And it, well, it was interesting. When we first arrived here, we had a, one of these things. I mean, anyone who knows Bristol and the Ring Road... It's a nightmare trying to find your hotel and get into it. But we, we, we managed it eventually. And we started walking towards the venue here. And you said, oh, I don't like Bristol. It's got a bad vibe. You <laughs> did, care, to ex- yeah. care to explain what that, what that feeling was and what prom- promoted it? Well, people might think I'm a little bit um, hippie-ish to say this, but some places give me a funny feeling. And sometimes I find in retrospect that something bad happened there or, you know, that some... A big event or historical event or you know or sometimes it was a former graveyard or something like that and I did feel last time I came to Bristol I did feel like that and also the beginning of this trip but once we got into the centre and uh, the sort of there was much more a positive vibe a, a more current and vibrant vibe in the centre as opposed to the history of Bristol, you know. And, and yeah, I think once we got to the St Nicholas Markets, uh, covered markets, which are full of sort of uh, artis- artisanal stalls and things like that, it, you know, there was a better, better atmosphere. Uh, but there's no question that the scars of World War II and the Blitz on Brits- Bristol, it was the fifth most bombed city in the UK. Um, there are a lot of churches with no roofs. And, and they, they really do look quite spooky, don't they? Yeah, they do. They do. Hang on. Uh, would you mind just using a free hand to move that back into position? Thank you. Uh, that was our, our recorder taking it a bird. It could burden. have been anything. It could have been. It could have been. Uh, so, yeah, I, uh, that was interesting. So the, the, the actual event itself, I mean, they've had one or two teething problems. And I think this is a big one when you're coming to a crime festival. Don't run out of alcohol, which they did. Well, for a start, have beer on tap. Yeah. The, the, on, so the opening day, no beer on tap. The next day, most things there, but soft drinks were in short supply. They ran out of Diet Coke. And then on the Saturday night, they had to shut the bars in the hotel, just ahead of the grand gala dinner, because they'd run out of alcohol of any sort. You'd think they'd send someone to the local Tesco Express and just get some tins. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was joking, this is terrible, because there's an early bird. Uh, if you sign up this weekend, you can get next year's tickets far cheaper than if you wait all that sort of thing and I understand why they would do that but I think they need that just for bar service because it's been desultory here in this <laughs> hotel so that has been a disappointment however uh, I think that the organisers are brilliant I think that the volunteers who help you to find which venue you're supposed to be in which room yeah. are, are terrific and the, and the booksellers too the big, big yeah. long table of books and run by Waterstone it's been amazing to see you know Hobet books sitting in amongst all these major names, and indeed our Christmas special book, we The Dark Side of Christmas. No, either. there it was. There so it was. Right at the front. And I think some copies have sold because the pile looks smaller today than it did. Yeah, everything else <laughs> that we've got on that table has sold too. So that's immensely gratifying. Um, yeah. You know, we're not going to be rich off it, but uh, it's, it's, it's good to see in the sea of books. But it does also, when you look at the, the massively long trestle table, the length of the ballroom. 
with all these crime books, and that's just a fraction of the market, just how congested our marketplace actually is. Mm, and it I, is. It's a love of crime. It's a love of writing about crime and a love of reading about crime. It is. It is all those things. So uh, we ought to uh, get into our next section of the programme, which is, well, we're going to take a little chat with Andrew Child. Who, who has quite a chop. Yeah. Uh, the whole <laughs> of the interview will come at some point, but uh, Andrew is Lee Child's brother and an author in his own right as Andrew Grant. But as it, m- the world knows, Lee Child has essentially retired from writing the books and given it the job to his brother. And so there's been a transition. And we talked about some of the process that's needed in taking over a, a long-established, one of the best-selling series in the history of publishing. And that's where we picked up with Andrew in terms of you know, how does it actually work between <laughs> the brothers? Well, the thing with Lee in terms of process is that he, he will not outline he absolutely. Good. He absolutely. Yeah, another pantser. We love it. it. It's not even that just that he he doesn't want it. He doesn't like. He act, he actively believes that it is the it is the wrong approach. Right. Because Satan's he, work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he feels that the book should emerge sort of organically, decision by decision, um, and that's the only way to make it surprising and interesting. Yeah. And yeah. Um, you know. He feels that, and I, I mean, I've seen this. There's, there's, there's lots of examples of books where you feel that what happened was the author wrote an outline, and an outline is a bit like kind of looking down at something from yes. above. You know, you, you yeah. don't see it in brilliant detail. You just, sort yeah. of, um, but then when it's as if you've looked at a map and you think you know the way, but then if you're actually driving that route, you see the individual houses and the streets and the potholes, and you know. I think that in a book, every decision that the hero makes has to seem, even though if it's surprising, you know, it's a bit exaggerated because it's fiction, Mm. it has to make sense. It has to be something that you would believe they would do. And sometimes I think if you commit to an outline too rigidly, then there are things in that outline that that you don't realize at the time don't quite make sense. And even if every decision is only a few degrees off. Pretty soon that builds up to it being... Yeah, yeah. miles off. Yeah. 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 yeah, It's a bit like me trying to navigate from the hotel Anywhere. here to our hotel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you see something interesting, you think, oh, I'll go down that mm. way instead. Yeah. You know, if, if as a reader you can look at something that the character does and think, well, what did he do that for? You know, why didn't he just call the police or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Then it all falls apart. I think it's... is it. Jo- there's a you know those Johnny English movies yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. there's, there's, one, that, Atkinson, there's yeah. one that sort of brilliantly illustrates this because I think it might be the second one he's in somewhere like Hong Kong on top of a big building fighting with some fella yeah and the the villain like leaps off the side of the building and clings onto this scaffolding that's made of bamboos and it's like totally rickety and, the, <laughs> and what they're setting you up to th- expect because of a kind of action movie trope is that Rowan Atkinson will then also leap down and they'll have sort of fight to the death dangling by their fingernails from... Yeah. The, but no, Rowan Atkinson strolls across, <laughs> gets in the lift, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hits the button for the ground floor, <laughs> the lift goes down, he comes out, just as the bloke is, you know, finally done all, getting, yeah, done all yeah, that stuff, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, that's, that's uh, you know, they do it to be humorous, 
But it's, I think it's a really powerful example because if you could just get in the lift and go down... You would do. You well, would, you wouldn't you? Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 Not resistance, of course. Yeah, you know, and, you know, you've got some scenario where the hero has to, like, cut off his hair and braid it into a rope and, you know, <laughs> you know when, when he could just, you know, go, you know, go out the... You know. Just use his charging cable on his phone. <laughs> no, true, true, true enough. So, so, uh, so, yeah, so yeah. How, how does that work then, the process? You know, uh, how, how much... How much is, is, is the two of you and how much is, is just you? Well, what, you know, the way that that ties into the thing about the, um, about the plotting mm. is, um, you know, Lee used to say that he didn't plan or... And, and really the truth is that what he, he does is what I call distributed planning. You know, he doesn't sit down at the beginning, do all of the planning, no. then write everything. What he likes to do is have an idea for the beginning, write the beginning, then think, well, what happens next? Yep. Decide that, write that bit, then yep. what happens next? So there's lots of planning. It's just broken up into, into chunks. So what we'll do, all of that planning stuff we, we do, you know, we'll, it's what he calls the fun part. You yeah. Know, it's yeah, it's yeah. the lazing around on the couch, dreaming up the ideas, thinking, wouldn't it be fun if he did this? What about if he did that? Or it would be, you know. Yeah. So all of the all of that stuff w- w- we do together. But then I think it's probably fair to say most of the kind of sitting at the keyboard and yeah, crank, you cranking now. it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Which is kind of lucky because, you know, even after writing 24 books, Lee's still a terribly slow typer. Uh, <laughs> is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. still two fingers clinking. Really? Like, yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> You've never been tempted by dictation? Or I've tried that. that. Yeah. I've tried that, yeah. Um, because what I find, I, I think that the real key to, to, to being... You know, to, to writing for a living mm. is maintaining forward momentum. You have yeah. to, you know, you have to get to the end of the manuscript, whatever you do. And so the only way to do that is to keep moving forward. And the way that the thing that stops me from moving forward is I'll obsess over a particular word or a particular sentence. If I see it on the screen, I'll be like, oh, no, that's not quite right. Mm. I need to t- and then, you know, for all you know, you spend a, a day faffing around with one sentence yeah. and then that sentence gets cut anyway yes. so yes. you know yes. it's a real waste of time and it kills that forward momentum so a lot of the time I look for ways to uh, you know avoid getting hung up on yeah. the things that I've already written so that I can keep going and so for a while I tried the dictation thing yes. and it worked fairly well but the thing was I was very self-conscious about it oh, yeah. and if, if, I, if I felt like there was somebody listening to me it just, it just inhibited me and it, when we lived in Chicago we had a really small apartment and so really if anybody else was in the apartment and awake <laughs> they would be able to hear what you were doing. Yeah, yeah, of and course. particularly since I don't know if it's better now, but when I when I tried it, you'd still have to say full stop. You know, it's he, not a lot yeah, better now. He he went through the door, comma. At, yeah, yeah, period. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Opening. Yeah. yeah. So I felt semicolon. Yeah, <laughs> I felt very inhibited. So I tried it for a while and stopped. But what I do now, if if I'm falling into that trap. It's ridiculous in a way, but I'm I'm actually quite a good typist, so I just type with my eyes shut. Oh, really? Yeah, and then you know you can't see what's on the screen, so you can't stop and get hung up by it. That's you should wear shades. (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant. I'd never heard that as a solution. Yeah, that's that's a a very useful tip to take away. You should try. I should try that. You're right. (laughs) You're right. Yeah, if you can touch type, you don't need to be looking at the screen. No, of course you don't. No, no. So I just... Can you touch type, though? 
Mm, I wouldn't go as far as that. No. I mean, I'm always surprised when the words come out the way I imagine them. <laughs> but, the, but the thing is, it, it doesn't matter if they're not 100% no. either. You know, if, as long as you can tell what it was supposed to say. More to come then from Andrew Child and a later show. Uh, but I think suffice to say, it was one of those interviews where you just think, this is just sublime. Where we're going in all directions and he's riffing and we're taking it in different places. I'll tell you what it felt like to me. So... Um, even though our podcasts are very chatty, I'm still aware that we're doing an interview. I'm st- still in the back of my mind, this is a podcast, we're doing an interview. With Andrew, I felt like three people having a chat. It really didn't feel like a podcast. It didn't, actually. It didn't. But I think that's nature of the fact that we've, we're growing as interviewers, partly. Uh, he was so relaxed and generous with his time. Uh, there was no sense of this was an imposition. It was actually a pleasure for him. And actually, even after we finished, we carried on chatting, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, exactly, on all sorts. So that's, you know, fantastic. And, I mean, one of the things we, we do to come to these festivals, um, and we're going to go to Harrogate, we're going to bloody Scotland, uh, is to get the Hobeck name firmer, firmer cemented in the minds of the rest of the industry to make new friends and contacts that can assist our projects, but also we can support other people. This podcast is a good way to do that. Uh, and to learn things. And all of those things have happened. But the other thing we've had is an opportunity to meet some of our own Hobeck authors. In the flesh. In the flesh for the first time. So first time we'd met Brian Price. First time we met Terry Nixon. And the first time we'd met Sue Shepherd. That's right. <laughs> and so uh, that's been brilliant. But of course, they've all met them, met each other. So we have seven authors here, and it's just been great to uh, to see them, you know, compare notes. Obviously, they've got a bitch and moan about us. Oh, stop it! As publishers, <laughs> no, they were very generous and kind to us. Um, but the fact is that uh, it, it, you know, we've set up this company. It's always been our ambition that Hoback, of course, we want to. Uh, you know the individual relationships to succeed and for people to be successful but we want to do it as a collective we want a, a feeling of being a bit of a team <laughs> and i think that possibly that has in, been strengthened this weekend oh completely it makes a huge difference when you get to know people on a personal level and yeah know. yeah absolutely so. so we took them out for for dinner well we t- t- took them out but uh, we contributed towards a, a, yeah. a, t- a team dinner last night it, it was lovely and uh, <laughs> It does remind me of being parents of a, a big group of uh, <laughs> family together, you know, yeah, it was a bit cousins like that. and that sort of thing, you know. But it was a lot of fun. It um, was, it was. But just before we uh, we hit the restaurant, and uh, we we passed the microphone round and just asked all of the, our Hobeck authors their impressions of Crimefest 2022. Well, Rebecca, we're coming towards the end of the festival, are we not? We are. I'm already getting sad that we're going home. We have one great highlight to come. I hope many more, but actually one truly great highlight, which is going out to dinner with our authors, those that are here anyway. The hive of Hobeckians who are sitting to my left drinking wine. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, let's, uh, let's get some... We want to know how they've enjoyed this festival, Crime Fest. Uh, returning after a couple of years. So let's start. You start, perhaps. So immediately to my left, and she doesn't know I'm about to approach her, is uh, Judy Dakin, author of Whale and Babes. I have a question for you, Judy. <laughs> it's a very easy question. It's not random at all. What has been the highlight of the festival for you so far? It hasn't finished yet, but so far. 
Oh, um, listening to Anne Cleves talk about film adaptations, because I'm convinced someone's going to buy all my books and adapt them. I'm certain this is going to happen. Did she give you any hints and tips? Yeah, don't do your own don't do your own scripts. Get somebody else to do it for you. Yeah, far yeah. too hard. Yeah, I think that's a good tip. Actually, we've heard that before. So, so we uh, we now have Jenny Ensor, who's to my right, and uh, Jenny. Is this your first crime fest? I've got to ask first. It's my second crime fest. How does this contrast with the previous one? Well, the first one was a, was more organised, and I had a panel, so I, I got really nervous. My, I was so nervous when I did this panel, my fingers were sh- hands were shaking. But this time, it was much more relaxed. And in terms of the panels you've been to, what have you gained? Um, yeah, I've I've enjoyed the um, the creepiness of. There was a panel about creep writing um, creeps creepy suspense. Yeah. Yeah. So, and what about yeah? Uh, that was which was the best panel. And I've learned what not to do as a moderator. Right. <laughs> yeah, we've seen a bit of that. That's true. Okay, I'm going to pass the equipment over to you. And, so come, and come with you. I have the equipment, and I am next approaching author of Swindled, creator of the lovely Vincent, S.E. Shepherd, otherwise known as Sue Shepherd. Now, you've only just arrived today, Sue, so I would like to know how have you found. Just, just being here for the day so far, are you, are you sort of in the middle of, of the, the crime excitement? <laughs> I, I am in the middle of crime excitement. Um, it's been amazing. The best bit really has been meeting all my fellow Hobeck authors and yourself and Adrian, because I've not actually met you all in real life. Um, I managed to take in a couple of panels and I'm hoping to take in a couple more tomorrow. So it, it's been a great visit. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. So you know we, we're real and we exist. We're not just a face on a Zoom screen. <laughs> and, and I'm real. Um, unlike uh, the gentleman that you possibly mentioned earlier, Mr Vincent. You're telling me he's not real? Well, maybe not. <laughs> and I will pass the uh, microphone back. This is so Heath Robinson, this whole setup here. <laughs> I don't know who that is. <laughs> but we are now joined by another Hobeck author. We've got several here, you may have gathered. Terry Nixon, Ardy Nixon. How's your crime fest so far? Uh, it's been brilliant, really, really good. Um, I got here a bit late on Friday, so I missed the panel, one of the panels I really wanted to do, but the ones I've been to have been excellent. Lovely. They have, haven't they? They really have. I think it's the generosity of spirit from the authors that are taking part to actually think about the subject they're talking about and actually give you everybody there something to go away with yeah i think you're right yeah they don't seem to be like doing it out of duty or any kind of like look at me look at me they're actually you know telling us the sort of stuff that we find useful so yeah, yeah. harrogate take note it's not about <laughs> it's not about me 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 well it is but uh, now on to rebecca and you're going to take the headphones uh, yeah so i am now moving on to the token mail actually i might go shall i go around the other way <laughs> So getting to the token mail, and the token mail is Brian Price. Now, Brian, you were lucky enough to be on a panel at this festival. What was that experience like? It was great fun. Um, The person chairing it was very supportive. I didn't get any unpleasant questions I couldn't answer. Um, It's all a very good-natured thing. It's not like being interrogated in court. And um, it was lovely to see people in the audience responding and laughing and so on. So do you think you'll do more panels in the future? If they'll let me. I mean, there's obviously a lot of competition. And you have to be an author published in the UK. So although I've been to Crime Fest, I think, three times previously, this is the first time I've had to be on a panel. 
and um, you know, I think they try to get every author a panel at some point throughout the weekend. And if you've flown in from Iceland or the States, then you tend to get two. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do it again because it's great to hear other authors and, and talk to them. So you're saying the key to getting on more than one panel is to go and live somewhere else? <laughs> a bit of an expensive way to do it, I think. <laughs> yes, indeed. Thank you very much. And I'll pass you back. Thank you very much. I'm going to put the headphones on. Bear with me. And we're going to keep talking. We're now with Wendy Turbin. Wendy, have you found it, this, this whole fest thing? This has been absolutely wonderful. It's my first time at Crime Fest. I've only done Noirich previously, so this is a much bigger festival, and it has been fab. There's been so much to choose from. Mm. I have been overwhelmed, but I've managed to pick my way through the things that I really, really couldn't miss, and uh, Anne Cleves is my absolute highlight. I would go a long way to see Anne Cleves at any time, uh, and I just think she's amazing. And the Inspector Ramsey books got mentioned, which very rarely get a mention, uh, which were very early on her career mm. but but I am that old that I remember those and love them then although I'm sure as she said herself um, she's improved her writing since then they were still fab. Well, um, as, as our listeners will hear you know we've spoken to Anne she is so generous with her I mean spirit because she's hugely successful but she knows how we all feel around this table trying to get to that point. Yeah, I mean, I mean, she is so clear about her 20-year overnight success um, and that it takes a long time to get noticed, which I think is inspirational for anybody who's just starting out. And she's so generous with, with everything she says uh, and encouraging uh, and so natural. So, you know, she's a bit of a heroine of mine, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Are you coming back next year? I think I might, actually. Yeah, it's, it's been so exciting. And I haven't really got to see anything of Bristol, which, you know, next time I'd like to plan that better. But I'm in the middle of a house move, so it makes it a bit tricky for timing. Uh, in fact, unfortunately, I have to shoot off tomorrow because I have to get back to pack some more boxes. Of course you do. Of course you do. Well, we wish you all the luck with that. Thank you very much indeed. Wendy, we've got one more Hobekian to get to, and the true Beckian is going to do it. <laughs> It's a true Becky, and I like that. So he's going to get shocked because he probably doesn't know I'm coming up to him. This is the other male. I said token male, but there's another male. And it's um, Anthony Dumford, author of Hunted. And I just have a quick question for you, Anthony. Hello. So since you were on a panel, have you been approached and asked for your autograph since then? No. (laughs) (laughs) That was a quick answer. Um, How was your experience on being on a panel? How did you find it? Because it's your first time, is it, on a panel like this? Yes, it was. It was brilliant. I was on with some wonderful people, um, Holly and Sarah and uh, Kia and Stanley. I read uh, nine of their books in preparation and I was only planning to read four. They were so good, I just had to keep going. Uh, brilliant. And they were so lovely. Uh, we were supposed to meet 20 minutes before the panel. We met 40 minutes before by uh, random consent and by the time we finished we were worried we'd said everything we should be about to say. Well, that certainly didn't happen, but actually I have another question for you because uh, on the panel you mentioned this um, algorithm that you came up with to work out about uh, that you'd all win a prize. How did that come about? Oh, it was the, um, myself and Sarah were long-listed for the CWA John Creasy New Blood Dagger um, and as was Mark Whiteman, the other of the Hobeck authors. Uh, and so I had a look at the um, Amazon ratings and tried to work out on the assumption that Amazon ratings have the wisdom of crowds and can predict the quality of a book, which is, of course, a very large assumption, 
um, what the shortlist would be. Um, and so I predicted a shortlist of seven, and I was right four out of seven. Unfortunately, I was wrong about Sarah, who I thought would make it, and she didn't, which I was very upset about, because her book is brilliant. But I was right about Mark and three of the others. Well done. I think you, you might have a career there, sort of <laughs> people who want to gamble on these things. So have you now got the bug? We, we, would you go on another panel next time? Oh, definitely, yes. It was great fun. Brilliant. We'll, we'll look forward to seeing you. Thank you very much. And um, that's it. That's all the Hobeck authors. And I'm just finding my partner now to say we've spoken to all the Hobeck authors. We have, we have. And we look, next year we need all of them here. All 77. Are you listening, Lewis? <laughs> Hobeck authors, by that point. 77, hang on. We'll book, we'll book out the grand. We'll take over the ballroom and it'll be the Hob, hob Fest. And Hobeck's paying for the lot. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, we'll see. What have you been drinking? Yeah, yeah, it's actually pink cider, rhubarb cider. It's delicious. They're a lovely bunch, the Hobeck authors. Of course they are. We chose them. <laughs> we, we, we did. Well, you never know. This is interesting. Someone's one of the one of the authors said to me yesterday. She said, um, "Of course, you only know us from our submissions initially." And then you start having this conversation with an author and, you know, pretty much every time we, we do approach an author and say, look, we want to see your manuscript, then we've read it, we love it, we want to work with you. We've made that decision to work with them, regardless of whether actually the chemistry is going to work. We have to, you know, the point is, I suppose, from a publisher's point of view, we've got 22 authors now, with Maureen Myron, our latest signing, is that the chemistry and the relationship, something you have to work on. To, you know, and they're all different. All the relationships are different, the, 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 the language, the metaphors, all the things that, you know, the, the rhythm of the, of the correspondence. Yeah. Some are more, you know, there's more regular, some are, you know, it, it's all different. But that's the same in life anyway, isn't it? You know? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Um, but it's a sort of, it's a long distance relationship. That's, you know, certainly during the pandemic, it's had to be. Yeah. And also, it's one of those relationships where you're you are friends, but you're not quite friends. You know, you just you still got that slight business element to the relationship. Yeah, so. there, there is that there is that undercurrent. Mm. Um, you know, and perhaps some of the relationships is more about the business, is less about the, the friendship element. You know, that, that's na- natural. That, that's but based on how they feel, isn't it? Yeah, because some people to, don't to want some extent. to have too much of a close friendship with you to- totally but, but some, totally. they just want to you know they they enjoy your company and they do they want to be your friend and well you happen to well, publish my books too Alison <laughs> will be listening to this Ali Morgan um, calls us up her book parents and in, in some ways that is the that sort of we do have a bit of a relationship <laughs> with some of our authors where it is they want to feel our approval yeah well I understand that I completely understand that you know this even if they're submitting book two to us they tell me you know I'm very nervous about what you're going to say and what you're going to think and yeah, it was bloody awful <laughs> we're not publishing that rubbish oh, stop it <laughs> yeah oh I've leaned back now but I've nearly finished yeah, my coffee a big mistake you'll never get you know, out of that my back was killing me leaning forward like that that's for sure so we're, we're approaching the end of uh, this week how, 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 who do we have next week do you remember um now, this is a lady who approached me quite a while ago, and she's uh, her book publishes in May, and I actually can't remember her name. I'm, I'm really sorry. But is this becoming a trope now, isn't it? <laughs> well, of course, we never know who's I can't next. Remember, I can never remember that you're going to ask me. So, um, <laughs> I mean, she, it was, I think it was the first time that I put a call out for podcast um, victims, and she sent me an email saying, well, not now, but how about in May? So... <laughs> 
Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, we'll look forward to meeting mystery author <laughs> number six uh, next week. Um, your thoughts, you know, final thoughts on, on what it's been like here in Bristol for this Crime Fest weekend. Um, I've learned uh, how to be better at talking to people because I always find that initial approach uh, very daunting um, and I've got better at it as the days have gone on. Um, I just love the fact you can sit in a pub and you're all talking about different ways to kill people but you don't actually mean it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, 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 I concur on the, 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 the breakthrough for both of us actually in terms of being confident to approach people. Yeah. Not just the big names who came on the podcast, but all sorts of conversations started uh, uh, and were really fantastic. We've made some, I'd say, some good new friendly faces for future events. It just uh, means the next time, or you know, whether it's Harrogate, and we'll see some people who are here and go, oh yes, do you remember so mm-hmm. talking to you at um, Absolutely, and we've also got a stack of potential guests for the podcast podcast as well we do we have yeah. some really good ones too. yeah really big names um who are lined up or at least have said yes and taken yes. the card so we'll look forward to that building up over the summer of course we're going to be at further festivals we're going to slaughter in southwold we are not too in long June. from now yeah july is harrogate Oh my gosh. The beast that is Harrogate. So we're looking forward <laughs> we'll to that. We'll be all festivaled out by then. And then Bloody Scotland in September. And, uh, you know, if we were, if we were uh, feeling stupid and flush uh, with money, which we're not, uh, believe me, we're not, uh, we should go to BoucherCon in the States or. Or the Icelandic one. Oh, yeah. Love to go to that one. I but, would love to. Okay, to. that's on the bucket list of festivals for the future as Hobeck thrives in the future so just to remind you of course that uh, oh i'll tell you what i'm going to remind you in a moment just give me one second enter a world of great stories from hobeck audiobooks from authors including mark whiteman linda huber malcolm hollingdrake essie shepherd ollie jarvis ab morgan and robert dawes tamara sullivan once more gave up on the book in her hand She leaned back in her seat, closed her eyes, and prayed that the two-and-a-half-hour flight would bring less turbulence than the last few months of her life had managed to generate. Lottie's hands fought their way back to his hair. With a yank, she almost removed an entire clump. Stop the bloody car now, DC Bradshaw. That's an order. I squeeze the steering wheel to stop my hands shaking and lean forward to give myself the clearest view of the road. Last week I was looking forward to a holiday. Last week I had a future. She dreaded the answer to her next question. But why me? You must be aware that I haven't accepted any work for three years. You'd never request someone who'd been out of the game for so long. Unless... She stopped. Unless I had some special skill. Daria leaned over to kiss Evie's damp little forehead, then jerked back in horror as a long, deep horn blared and headlights from an approaching lorry swept through the cab. A single, sickening scream left Daria's soul as Evie's rucksack scratched across her face. Betancourt waved a languid hand. Later, he pulled away the cover. Working like a camera, his detective's eyes took in everything. The woman was young, probably early 20s, 
pretty. Hobeck Audiobooks. We know the power of great storytelling. We do. Rebecca has a special mission. She's going to put her microphone down. I am. I'm going to wrap up the show, or at least get to the nearly the end of the show, but you've got to go and rush off. Go I've on. I've got to give him a mug again. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah. So I'm going to describe what's going on. There's Rebecca crossing the reception hall, and she's heading towards the black suited figure of... Yes, he's taken the mug, and he lifts it in triumph. Andrew Child has his coffee mug, and uh, it's all fantastic. There we go. I'm back. You're well done. I, I commentated as you went across to describe the scene, the joyous scenes. Uh, so, yes, that's our audiobook arm, but the rest of it you can find at www.hobeck.net. Details of all of our authors, our books, our paperbacks are available from our own store. The audiobooks you can get at discount rates from our audiobook store. The link is at our website. Full details of what we are and who we are are there, of course. And I would, yeah, we both would like to encourage you to, if you can, subscribe to the Hobcast Book Show if you're new to us. Uh, every subscriber means a great deal to us. And uh, we look forward to speaking to you with our mystery guest next <laughs> week from our more sort of prosaic home oh, at, at Hobeck Towers. Yeah, we are back with the cat later on tonight. Uh, but look, it's been brilliant. It's been, it's been emotional, as they say in Bristol. Yeah. Yeah. I'll probably cry all the way up the motorway. Absolutely. It's been brilliant, and uh, we hope you've enjoyed this show. It's been uh, a pleasure to put together and uh, a pleasure to be here. So, from myself, Adrian Hobart. And myself, Rebecca Collins. Thank you so much for joining us on the Hobcast Book Show. We'll see you next week, and uh, between now and then, have a wonderful, creative week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit. Spirit.